Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. We are continuing our series uh, looking at You're Not the Boss of Me and uh, looking at how to say no to the emotions that compete for control. And today, just for a few minutes, we're going to talk about this. We are going to talk about road rage. Woohoo! How many have ever been on the other side of road rage? Anyone? How many have been on the other side of the person who was the other side? No, no, okay. It, this affects us, road rage, okay? All of us. And um, interestingly enough, definition is road rage is an aggressive or angry behavior exhibited by a driver. Behaviors include rude and offensive gestures, verbal insults, physical threats or dangerous driving methods targeted towards another driver or pedestrian in an effort to intimidate or release frustration. Usually, road rage is targeted to complete strangers. Unless, of course, you're one of our staff members who did admit on our communication channel that, that he had you know, displayed a little bit of road rage to what he, who he thought was a complete stranger and realised it was someone in this church. Now, I don't want to embarrass him because Russ is a good friend of mine and I don't want... Sorry, sorry. He's not here this morning. Okay. But, you know, usually it happens to strangers. Um, but actually, it, 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 and one of the things that, that we do is that we, we, we kind of justify it a little bit, don't we? And, and we, when we say, no, 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 we haven't got rage. We haven't got that. No, we're just, and this is the word that we used, we just have frustration. You know, and we say things like, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. Anyone ever said that? And you know, whenever you say, I'm not angry, in an angry voice, you've lost it basically, haven't you? And I know that I, in my life as well, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, uh, I know that I often use this as a, as a get out, as a hide behind, you know. No, I'm not angry. I haven't got rage. I'm just frustrated. But you know, th- there is a rage these days for almost everything. In fact, I looked at this. There's a rap rage. And I don't mean like rap I don't know what that was. But, you know, rap as in an inability, apparently, an inability to deal with the frustration of hard-to-open packaging. Apparently, that creates a rap rage. There's also a trolley rage in the supermarket. Anyone had trolley rage in the supermarket? And there is computer rage. In fact, I got computer rage writing this talk about rage, trying to get my iPad to do things, and I just hit it harder. You know, you know that feeling. There's all kinds of rage uh, in our lives. And here's the thing, our series is called You're Not the Boss of Me. And this is the tagline that we use. How to say no to the emotions that compete for control. Because when we allow the emotions to compete for control, they will take control and they'll lead us where we don't want to go. And nothing good happens of that. And we've been looking at these words from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 where it says this, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Eat with unwashed hands, Jesus says, is hygienic and it's a good thing to do, but it doesn't defile you. In other words, don't focus on the stuff that you're taking in so much, but you've got to focus on what's already in you. And like Andy said with this jar of sweets down there, what's in you will come out of you. And that word defile literally means, it's a religious word, it means it puts you at odds with God. And what's on the inside of us, when it comes out, if it puts us at odds with others, then it will put us at odds with God. Because people are what make God 
tick. People are God's heart. People are God's jewel. That's who people, God is interested in. And when we're at odds with others, then we're at odds with God. And here's the big idea that I want to share with you this morning, and it's this. When emotions take control, things get out of control. When emotions take control, things get out of control. And that's what we are going to look at today. And this week, we're going to look at this emotion. You probably guessed it already. And it's the emotion of anger. I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. Anger, frustration and rage are all shades of the same kind of emotion. And that's what we're going to look at today. Nobody wants anger to be the boss of them. Anger destroys marriages. It destroys families. Destroys communities. It destroys churches. Destroys nations. Destroys lives and reputations. The definition of anger is anger is an emotion related to an interpretation of having been offended, wronged, hurt or denied. You know, anger is a universal emotion. Andy said earlier on about this being, you know, multi-generations. You know, anger is in every generation. And anger is in every single human being. If you're not a follower of Jesus today... Anger is not a Christian or a non-Christian issue. It's a human issue. And whether you're a Christian or Christ follower or not, you will struggle with anger just like I do. In fact, you cannot not have anger. It's like saying you cannot have uh, hunger or libido or pain. It's just part of the human condition. It's part of who we are as human beings. Now, some research on anger. The average man loses his temper six times a week. The average woman, three. Women get more angry at people. Men tend to get more angry at things. Men are more physical with their anger than women. You know, there's different kinds of anger. I want to call, talk about two here. There's extroverted and introverted anger. So extroverted, it's all out there. You know what I mean? It's just all blah and it's out. Introverted anger. Now, let me. I'm going to be very honest about myself here because this is one of the emotions that I have struggled with and do because um, I can be quite angry and I'm an extroverted, angry person at times. Now, I know that I've met some other people and they are angry, but it's gone deep down. Do you know the kind I'm talking about? And can I just tell you, that's quite scary, isn't it? When the anger doesn't go out, it goes down and it goes in and it's submerged. But underneath the surface, you know and everyone else knows, boy, there is some anger in there. And if that ever came out, look out. You see, there are some Angry Birds. Anyone remember the, uh, the, the program or the film Angry Birds and the game Angry Birds? There's some Angry Birds out there, isn't there? Some Angry Birds in here as well, but we're not going to go there. And, and one of them is, is what I call the short fuse type. If, if some of you who are old, my age or older, you remember Faulty Towers. Anyone remember Faulty Towers? John Cleese, Basil Faulty. He was the archetypal short fuse kind of guy. And um, I, I remember one episode of Faulty Towers when... He's driving up and down in the car and everything's manic and manic and manic and talk about emotions taking control. And, and his car broke down and he just lost it, okay? And he got out of the car and he looked at the car and he said, I'm going to give you a damn good thrashing. And he gave the car a damn good thrashing. And it was funny at the time until um, <laughs> me and Alison had been married a couple of years and we didn't have kids then and we went on holiday uh, in January, got a bit of winter sun in Tenerife and as we flew back into Birmingham, we landed in the middle of the night and we were tired and, and it was lashing it down to rain and my car broke down on the car park at the uh, airport and I can remember just exploding and literally getting out of the car and giving my car a damn good thrashing and I felt great after that. Because when you're when you're the short fuse type, it goes out like that, and then you feel great. The problem is everyone else around you. My wife's an introvert. She doesn't 
burst out like that. And the, my outburst of anger damaged her. And that's what happens with short fuse type. Then there's also, there's the slow burner. There's the slow burn. Anyone? No, you, maybe you don't want to do that. It is just, and, you, and you like, it's simmering underneath. But you know, and everyone else knows that when that goes, that really goes. And then there's the passive aggressive kind of anger. And uh, Churchill and George Bernard Shaw were uh, contemporaries. Churchill's, you know, prime minister, politician, famous, famous. George Bernard Shaw was an author and a writer. They were contemporaries, but they didn't like each other. They had this passive aggressive relationship. And I found this little story of them. And it says this, George Bernard Shaw wrote a letter to, or a note to Churchill. He said, I want to invite you to the opening night of my play. I have two tickets for you and a friend, if you can find one. Ooh. Churchill responded, Dear George, unfortunately, I'm busy on the opening night. Please send me two tickets for your show on the second night, if you have one. Oh, you see, that's passive aggressive. Okay, and that's still anger. And then there's the permanently simmering, where you're just angry all the time. And you don't really know why you're angry, but you're just angry all the time. Let me tell you something. Show me an angry person and I'll show you a hurt person. Because at the cause often of our anger is our hurt. But there's also a good anger. There's what I want to call this anger, crusader anger or righteous anger. That's, a, that, that's the kind of anger that Jesus had when, when he went into the temple one day and he saw that, 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 that the religious people had, uh, had manipulated the system and there were all these people trying to uh, worship God and, and they were making money out that and they were selling them dodgy um, sacrifices for extortionate amounts of money and, and Jesus just got so angry, not for himself but for other people and for what was right and that anger came out and he did something about it. That's called crusader anger. That's what motivates us um, in Faith Trust, the charity that we're a part of here as well. And many of you are part of that. That's what motivates us when we look at young people and we look at what, what, what culture and life is doing to them and the exploitation and the trafficking and the self-harm and the, and the, and the low uh, esteem and the, and the mental health challenges. And it makes us angry, but in a good way. And we're angry for people and it motivates us to want to do something. Several years ago, we were involved for a long time, as you know, in sub-Saharan Africa with the HIV AIDS pandemic. And, and it was really that kind of sense that this is not right. We want to do something about it. And can I just say, um, those of you that ever went out to Amlu, uh, our community in the Zambia that we, we were a part of for many years, Boyd the pastor still contacts me regularly. They're doing so well. The uh, life expectancy is up. The health of the kids are up. And so many good things happening. But there was something inside of us that said, this isn't right and we need to do something about it. When our youngest son, Simeon, was in a special school many years ago, um, they tried to shut all the special schools. The authority tried to shut all the special schools in our area. And uh, me and Alison just felt this is not right. And we were angry and, and it drove us to do something. And we set up a protection league and I became chair of that for a couple of years. And we lobbied the, the, the local politicians and newspapers and did all of that. It came out of an anger. This isn't right. And we've got to do something about it. And I want to tell you guys that a good anger is good, isn't it? If it motivates us to do something good, that's really good. And you know, the Bible can talk, talks about this. And I think like, you, I want to call it like a holy discontent. You know, when you see something in society, you see something in culture, and you think that's just not right. You know, I want to do something about it. That anger motivates you. But crusader anger is always about others. The anger you and I struggle with is often all about ourselves. And that's the anger we're going to look at today. So there is a good anger, but there is another anger. There's an emotion which threatens to take 
control of us. And that's what we're going to look at. Because when emotions take control, things often get out of control. So we're going to go to the Bible. And I want to introduce to you a guy called James. Now, there are two Jameses uh, talked about in the Bible. Uh, One is the one that was uh, beheaded in Acts chapter 12. This is not that one. But this one was martyred, but not in, you don't read it in the Bible. This was a guy called James. He was called James the Just. He wrote the book of James that we're going to look at, in a, look at in a moment. He was martyred for his faith in AD 62. Here's the interesting thing. We don't read about it in the book of Acts because Acts must then have been written before AD 62. Here's the even more interesting thing. It's interesting to me. I love this. Okay, I can tell that you're completely bored, but I'm really enjoying this. But here's the thing. If, the, if it was written earlier than we thought, that also means that the Gospel of Luke was written earlier than we thought because it's absolutely clear that the guy that wrote Luke, Luke, also wrote Acts. Therefore, the book of Luke and Acts are earlier than people thought, which means they're closer to the time when there were eyewitnesses. That changes everything. So often in historical writing, if you're not a Jesus follower, you might think, I don't believe in the Bible because, you know, it's all made up and it's all myth and they wrote it hundreds of years after it happened. No, they didn't. And that, this fact alone is evidence that that's not the case. So that's an aside. Here we come to James. The other interesting thing about James is that James is the brother of Jesus. Anyone ever felt intimidated by your brother or sister? Imagine your brother being the saviour of the world. Try to get your head around that one. Here's the thing. What would it take for your brother to convince you he's the saviour of the world? Because James was convinced. James was so convinced that his brother was his Lord and the saviour of the world that James in AD 62 gave his life for his belief in his brother being the saviour of the world and his Lord. That fact alone is one of the reasons why I'm a Christian. I just can't get my head around. How can you not do that? You know, if this is all made up, you know, how, how, why would you do that? I just don't get my head around it. Anyway, this is who James is. And then in James 3, he writes this amazing, these amazing words. He says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, he's not asking for hands there, okay? This is a rhetorical question. Let them show it, not by their words, okay? Not by how bright they are or whatever, but by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. James is saying, if you're wise, you'll have humility. If you're wise, you'll understand that life is connected, that there are dots to join up. If you're wise, you'll understand that what happens on the outside of your life is connected often to what happens on the inside. You'll understand that what happens to you time and time again, cyclically in your relationships, is because there's something in you that's driving you. And so if you're wise and you're understanding, you'll have humility. And this humility comes from wisdom. And then he goes on to say this incredible thing. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. And there's a lovely word here. It's a lovely word. It's a beautiful word and it's a powerful word. If you harbour bitter envy. In other words, if you let emotions dock in your heart, you're going to be in trouble. If you let them harbour. Vicky used that image of, the, of, a, of a boat in a storm with, a, with the anchor being you know, at the bottom and anchored in. And it's an important image because, because what James is saying is if you let the stuff on the inside of you, the emotions, if you let them dock in your heart, if you let them harbour, then it's going to cause stuff to happen. And we've been looking at these emotions the last few weeks. We've looked at guilt where we say, I owe you. 
And guilt creates a weight that throws us off balance. And we've looked last week at envy, like life or even God owes me. And we, we go after stuff. And, and Solomon says, like chasing the wind. But I think anger is about you owe me. I think anger is an emotion that if we allow it to dock in our heart, it will throw us off balance. Because we're saying, you hurt me. You wronged me. You took something from me. You owe me. Then James says this, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. In other words, what's on the inside of you? If you allow those negative emotions to dock, they will drive what's coming out of you and they will defile you and God and they'll defile you and other people. And all of that is a backdrop to the big one in James chapter 4, which is where he says this. So, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And when I read this and thought about this, I thought, what causes quarrels and fights among me and my wife? And do you know the answer? My wife. Absolutely. What causes fights among you and your family? Answer, your annoying family. What causes fights among me and my staff team? Andy Hancock, every time. Now, see, what, what we do when we do that is we project rather than reflect. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes it's not my wife or sometimes it's not my annoying family or it's not even Andy Hancock. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that there aren't other, other factors involved and people doing things and all of that. But what James says, and I think the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament is this, is that you've got to look inside of you for, to understand what's coming out of you. What causes quarrels and fights among you? And basically, as it goes through this, you can see that what he's saying is this. What is causing a quarrel and fight is that you're not getting what you want. Isn't that right? To which you might answer with this, this next one. But I earned it. You know, I worked hard for it and I didn't get it. No, you didn't. And you earned it. Yes, you did. But they promised. And they did promise. And they didn't deliver. But what they did wasn't fair. And no, it wasn't fair. But can you see that at the heart of all these things is the same conclusion. You're not getting what you want. And that's what causes the quarrel and the fights among us. And James and I think Jesus is saying, guys, you've got to look on the inside of you. I'm not getting what I want. And part of the problem in any relationship is that I'm not getting what I want. And that's often the cause. Now, it doesn't mean that somebody hasn't done something to me that maybe they have or that that's not a bad thing. Yes, it is. Or that we don't have to deal with that. Yes, we do. But part of the problem always is that I am not getting what I want. So, as we've been doing every week, I want to get you to say this out loud, okay? And even if you're watching at home and tuning in, I want you to say it out loud in your living room, okay? And if someone walks in the room at the same time, that'll be awkward, but here we go. So let's say it together. I'm not getting what I want. Say it with a bit more conviction, can we? I am not getting what I want. Part of the problem is I'm not getting what I want. Now, let me just say something before we move on. 
If you're married today or in a committed relationship, okay, you are going to put this into practice really soon, okay? Because there's going to be a little quarrel and a fight among you really soon. I'm not being prophetic. I've just been married a long time, okay? You're going to do that. And when that happens, I want to encourage you guys, one of you to say, hey, whoa, whoa. part of the problem here is I'm not getting what I want. Because when you say that, what do you say to that? Like if I say, Alison, part of the problem here, and I did this yesterday, didn't go well. No, it did, it did, it did go well, it did, it did. Part of the problem is I'm not getting what I want. And what do you do with that? Oh, okay. Well, actually, part of the problem is I'm not getting what I want. Oh, okay. So can we talk about it? Do you see what I mean? And here's the thing. One of you has to be the first to do it. I'm going to tell you who will be the first to do it. The most mature. (laughs) The wisest person will do it first. Because wise people know arrogance doesn't make any sense. Only humility makes sense. Here's the person who will do it first. This is really naughty. The most Jesus-like person will be the one to do it first. And can I tell you men why it probably won't be you that does it first? Only one thing. Pride. Pride. You don't want pride to be the boss of you, do you? You want pride to be the boss of you? Do you want anger to be the boss of you? So maybe James is, 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 is bringing out an incredibly life-changing principle. They say that part of the problem here is that I'm not getting what I want. So what is your relationship with anger? What is your relationship with anger? Do you let it boss you around? Does it control your mood or your mouth? Part of the problem is that you're not getting what you want. So how do we deal with it? Let me give you three things as we, as we come into land. Let me give you three things. Number one, acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. You know, I, I had to do this in my own life. I, I've struggled with anger. Um, a very expressive person, extroverted person. My wife will tell you I'm better now than I used to be, but it's still a challenge. And I have to acknowledge, I have to acknowledge that, that even though I'm a short-fused guy and, and I can do that and then I feel great, everyone else around me doesn't feel great when I've done it. I have to acknowledge that I had an issue and I have an issue in this. Secondly, though, you've got to surface it. You've got to bring it to the surface. And I think that question is really powerful. Hey, part of the problem is that I'm not getting what I want. That surfaces it. You see, you will never address what you don't confess. We've got to find a way to bring it out. But then thirdly, we've got to deal with it. We can't just say, oh, I'm not angry, I'm frustrated. Or we can't just say, it's not me that's angry. They made me angry. No, they didn't make you angry. They surfaced the anger that was already there. So how do we deal with it? Anyone ever walked into a spider's web? Anyone ever done that? And it's got in your hair or in your face. How many of you say, oh, I've walked into a spider's web. It's in my hair and my face. I'll sort that out later. Nobody ever does that, do they? Straight away, immediately, you want to pull it off your hair. You want to pull it out. You want to just get rid of it. And that's interesting. That's really interesting because Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verse 31, this really great verse, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That word, that phrase in the original language, get rid, literally means remove, separate yourself from immediately. Just like when you walk into a spider's web, you're not going to keep it in your hair or in your face. You're going to get rid of it. Paul says, get rid of bitterness, rage and anger. Don't let these emotions dock in your, in your heart. Because if they do, they will direct everything. They will be the boss of you. And that will be a mess. And nothing good will come of that. So get rid of all these things. And Paul writes this from a Roman prison. 
where he had every right to be angry. He had every right to say it's not fair. And yet he said, hey, when you walk into that spider's web of anger and stuff, get rid of it. Don't let it dock because it will go badly for you. You see, if you don't, if you don't do it, then here's what, what happens, I think, is that anger does not, no, 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 sorry, I'm on the next one here. Get rid of all business. Yeah, anger does not belong to you. You belong to your anger. That's what happens. If we don't get rid of it, then, then actually we belong to it. It doesn't belong to us. Does that make sense? And you might say, yeah, but, 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 see, but they did this and they did that. And actually what we do, guys, is that we hold on to our anger because we feel somehow that if we let it go, we don't know what we'll do then. So I'm going to hold on to this justification. They did that. They said that. They robbed that. They took that from me. They took the best years of my life. They took my purity. He took my job. He took my reputation. They took my friendship. They took something. Now they owe me. I'm going to hold on. The problem when you do that is the only one who loses is you. Because anger doesn't belong to you. You belong to your anger. And then Paul nails it and he says this. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. If you're not a Jesus follower right now, you might not get this, okay? But if you are, you have to get this. This is not an optional extra for the really keen Christians. This is bottom line. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, forgive one another just as in Christ God forgave you. Now it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you need to welcome them back into your home, okay? I have this great uh, illustration of where, you know, you know the kind of like old English houses and, and, and there's like a, a garden and there's a fence around and, and the guy said, you know, when someone hurts you and you forgive them, it doesn't mean you have to let them back in your home. Maybe all you, what you need to do is you meet them at the fence. It's a beautiful illustration. Just meet them at the fence. Don't have to let them back in your home. Just meet them at the fence. What you're doing is you're forgiving them, you're releasing them, and actually you're releasing yourself from the anger that could become the boss of you. Forgiveness is about cancelling a debt that somebody owes to you. Your pain isn't a trophy to show. It isn't a story to tell. It's poison to your soul. And I want to say to you this morning, guys, and I don't know how long you've been a Christian or how old you are. I... I I've been so moved in my life to meet some older folks who've, who, who come to that point in time where they realise they've carried stuff their whole life. They've carried bitterness, they've carried anger, they've carried rage and it's driven them in so many ways. But the beauty of coming to that moment when they lay that down, when they surrender it, when they let Jesus forgive them as they begin to forgive other people as well is absolutely beautiful. Andy Stanley says this, Forgiveness is to give to someone what they don't deserve. So you can give to those around you what they do. You know, forgiveness is something we receive. We give to others and we receive from God. And it becomes like a cycle. And as we forgive and God's forgiveness comes through us, then others can receive the benefit and the overflow of that. Listen, people receive the overflow of your emotions every single day and mine as well. Wouldn't it be great if they receive the overflow of forgiveness as well? In my... Um, Reading the Bible uh, at the moment, um, I'm reading through the, the Bible and um, I'm just finished reading the story of Joseph and just finished it yesterday and it was so moved again. I've read it many times. Joseph was a young guy at 17 who, who was betrayed by his brothers and put in a pit and sold into slavery. And then he ended up in a, in a house where he was really good and, the, and, and, and you know, did everything he should have done. And the, and the, 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 the master's wife uh, accused him of raping her, which he didn't do. And uh, he ended up in prison for two years. 
He was really good in prison and helped people, but they forgot him and they left him there. And there's just time after time after time. And at the end of the story, Joseph now is the prime minister of Egypt and he's the most, second most powerful man in the world. And his brothers come from Canaan and they come and they sit in front of him. They don't recognise him because he's older now and he's in the Egyptian makeup and he's the prime minister. They don't recognise him as the brother that they left for dead. And there's just a beautiful, beautiful story about what real forgiveness is about. And I realised again as I read it again and just thought, wow, God, would you take me into some depths of forgiveness? You know, the Bible says that what he did was that when he realised and went, you know, he cleared everybody else out of the room. So there was only his brothers and him in the room. Why did he do that? Because you know you've forgiven someone when you don't want anyone else to know what they did to you. When you don't want, you want to protect their reputation even though they destroyed yours. That's forgiveness. And, and then when he did that, he then invited them close. Not, not into his house, but he met them at the fence. And then as he gave them forgiveness, he not only set them free, but he set himself free as well. And so I want to invite the band to come back up. And guys, I know this is heavy. and I know it's a difficult subject. And, uh, but you know, it's a really, really important subject. And it may be that you guys and us, we're carrying some anger. And we're carrying some rage. And we're carrying some frustration. And as we begin to carry this, we're carrying it so tight and so on that actually it's becoming the boss of us. And I think what God would want to say to you this morning is you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive and you've got to get rid. So are you angry with someone? Is there someone that you're angry with? Maybe a group of someones. Maybe you left another church and you're angry with the church or you're angry with the office or you're angry with the school or you're angry with the family. You're angry with someone or a group of someone. Are you angry with yourself? You know, many of us, are, uh, the person we have to forgive more than anyone is ourselves. We're so angry with ourselves, and the anger that we feel towards ourselves becomes the boss of us. Or are you even angry with God? Even angry with God? And I can just say, it's okay to be any of those things. Just be honest. Acknowledge it. Surface it. Don't let it stay in your hair. Deal with it. Forgive and get rid. I think that's what Jesus would say to us today. Can I invite you to stand? In a moment, we're going to, we've got a bit of time. We're going to sing a song that's a beautiful older song. And it, and it talks about the forgiveness of God. It talks about, it's a very personal song because it says, here I am. Here I am. Here I stand. And it talks about being, being, being a, a, a sinful man or a sinful woman or, you know, acknowledging who we are and what's going on on the inside. And then it talks about the incredible grace of God in Jesus. That, you, you know, you and I, you know, He didn't owe us anything. We owe Him everything. You know that, don't you? And yet even though we owe Him everything and He owes us nothing, He's given us everything and we can't give Him anything. Isn't that amazing? That's grace. And so this song talks about, here I am, here I stand. And it's like I want to open my hands and I want to let go of all that stuff. And I want to receive grace and forgiveness again. So I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment and do what we did last week. If this is okay for you, just put your hands out in front of you. And maybe, maybe some of you, yeah, just do this. Just, just clench your fists just for a moment, okay? And as you clench your fists and you feel the pressure inside your hand, that's, that's what it... That's a little bit of what it feels like when, when we're holding on to stuff on the inside of us, okay? When we let emotions dock. 
And maybe some of you know right now that you've got some of that anger and it's docking inside of you. Now open your hands. Now open your hands. And as you open your hands, begin to say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you take, would you begin to take some of this anger, some of this hurt, some of this frustration, some of this rage away? And God, I want to receive with an open hand your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. And Lord, the next time I'm in a situation, and I will be, when anger begins to be the boss of me, I want to say, whoa, part of the problem is I'm not getting what I want. But you know what? I am not going to let anger be the boss of me anymore. So Jesus, I want to pray for every single hand that's opened here this morning. God, may we receive your mercy and your grace. And as you forgive us and continue to forgive us and pour your grace in us, may those around us get what they do deserve because we get from you what we don't. So Jesus, we invite you, Holy Spirit, would you come? And as we sing this amazing song, Lord, I pray that this will be more than a song, God, this will be a response to you, that you'll move in this place, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this song, if for some of you, you would value someone coming and praying with you, then we want to invite you to come out at the front here or over on the side here. There'll be people that would love to pray for you. And that's a big step, I know that, okay? And I'm not expecting loads of people, I know that. But, but it's fine because if there's one of you here and actually this is a life-changing moment for you, that's worth it. Because if you hold on to that, you hold on to that, it actually becomes, you actually become that. It shapes you. Not only is it the boss of you, it becomes your identity. You can't imagine life without it, yet there is life without it. And it's a life of freedom that Jesus offers to you. So if you know that anger has become the boss of you or rage or frustration, then if you want to, as we sing and as we respond, we invite you to come and someone will pray with you. They won't ask you what it's about. They'll just pray with you and for you. Thanks.